0: Hey everyone. It is Monday. It is our expert series and you know we start off strong. So let's bring back Greg Dickerson. How you doing, sir? Doing good. Michael, how about you? Uh, I'm doing well. We got a little bit of fires going on here in California. So the air is kind of, uh, it's actually difficult to breathe. I won't lie. It's definitely got that smoke in the air, but we're doing okay. Uh, we're just staying inside. But hey, it's a pandemic. So we were inside already. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So how many miles are you from the worst part of the fires?
0: I would say there are fires going on in the Santa Cruz mountain, which by the bird flying would be probably 20 miles. Yeah. Uh, by car, it's probably like 25 or 26 miles.
1: Yeah. So you're real close. So um, I was talking to people um, last week and over the weekend that are in Southern California and they have, they have smoke all the way in Southern California and then going all the way into Arizona.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah. Yeah. Uh, we get it really bad in the afternoon in the morning. It's probably the clearest air. Cause I guess the onshore flow or whatever it is, but by the afternoon, like, yeah, I, it's it's bad. I'm, it's crazy. It's crazy. But let's talk about something more fun. Let's yeah. talk about housing. Housing is on fire. The numbers came out last Thursday. Yeah. Remarkable. Let me see if I can get them from memory. Nationally, we were up 8.5% year on year. We broke 300K for the first time nationally. Inventory was down from 4.2 months to 3.1. Transactions were up 23.7%, I think. Just all in all, what you and I have been talking about, this market is hot. I think there's ways to take advantage, but we also got to be careful, right? The, these, uh, these markets can run hot and, and someday something will trip it up. But let's talk about real estate being hot. What do you got?
1: Yeah, so right there with you. I mean, the housing market is on a upward trend, you know, and its uh, inventory levels are still at record lows, demand are at record highs. The interesting thing is, where is the demand? Where is it coming from? Why is the inventory low? And what's the future of the housing market, which is all the stuff we're going to, you know, dig into and talk about today, because, you know, a lot of people were calling for a crash, Mm -hmm. right, thinking this was going to be the biggest buying opportunity of the century. And, you know, this, that, and the other. So here's the thing that's very different this go around than last time, you know, number one, interest rates. Okay, so you got to watch interest rates. Interest rates are, they hit below 3% for the first time ever. ever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So on, you know, most areas, the average house 250 to 300,000. I mean, that's less than $1,000 a month for for a mortgage, principal, interest, mortgage insurance, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. Less than a thousand bucks a month. I mean, you can get a brand new house, starter home, For you know, less than half of what you can rent in most areas. Yeah. Okay. So there's a long way that that can go, you know, from a price standpoint. So it's just like cars. You remember when cars, you know, pickup trucks used to be thirty to fifty thousand for a nice vehicle. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's because the financing was expensive. You were paying five to seven percent to ten percent for interest, Mm -hmm. um, and you could only finance a car for three years. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't remember. You could not get seven year, you know, six, seven, eight years of financing on cars. Right? Can you get eight years now? It might be seven, what is it, 72 seven. months, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, whatever it is. You couldn't get that. You could only get 36 to 48 months back in the day. So, why do cars cost a hundred thousand, 70 000 to a hundred thousand now for a pickup truck and a suburban? Because you can finance it forever. Interest yeah. rates are free, yeah. if not low. Yeah. So, it's all about the payments. Yeah. Same thing in real estate. So what we're experiencing now is record low interest rates. So it's all relative, yeah. you know, except for it's way cheaper now than it was when we were experiencing the, the boom cycle of the 04 to 09 period when mm-hmm. you could literally buy a house today and sell it for 25 to 30% more tomorrow. That's not happening for two reasons. One, you got to qualify. Mm-hmm. You got to have, you know, a down payment. You can, you know, mitigate that for first-time home buyers, VA, all that. But still, you got to have a down payment. You got to have good credit. You got to have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the lending criteria is much different, much more stringent than it was back then when all it took was a credit score. You didn't need any income verification. Mm-hmm. So it was creating this speculative. Um, activity, like we're seeing in the stock bonds trade, you know, like we're seeing in that market, mm-hmm. you know, real estate is not a speculative play now. And there isn't an abundance of inventory like there was back then. Yeah. We can't even keep up now. Homebuilders can't build fast enough. So mm-hmm. that's the difference this time.
0: Yeah. I think, I think you said a lot there that I, I agree with, a th- you know, a thousand percent, if that makes any sense. First and foremost, certainly owner occupants um, they buy on monthly payments. Right, they may look at the price of the home, like, "Hey, home builder is selling it for blah blah blah," but that's not the number they're looking at. They're like, "What is my monthly payment going to be?" Oh, it's eight hundred and eighty-nine dollars. Oh my God, I'm paying fifteen hundred in rent. Makes perfect sense. And then you have um, you have what I really think is going on, which will it's starting to bear itself out already in the data, but it will be more obvious in the next sixty days. You have people that were renting ridiculously small places in big cities right? Mm-hmm. Remember I have is Manhattan 4,200 bucks for a two bedroom, a thousand square feet. You can buy a lot of house for 4,200 bucks. And if your employer mm-hmm. says you can work anywhere, why the hell do you stay in a shoebox? So we ha- we have a whole generation, right? The millennials, right? We made fun of them rightly or wrongly. They weren't, They were renters on purpose later in life than our generation, right? Gen X. And now they're coming out and they're saying, you know what? We want to own, right? We want a backyard. We, we need an office, right? They're making fundamental decisions. And I think this is an investable trend. So um, I think- so think other- about what
1: you just said. So three to 4,000 bucks a month in San Francisco and New York for rent for a very small, tiny apartment. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what we just said, if you can buy $250,000 worth of house for 800 bucks a month, yeah. you're talking about a $1.2 million property. You can go to Nevada, you can go to Charlotte, North Carolina. You can go to the, you know, the suburbs around Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and you can get mansions. You can go to the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. So for people watching, go look at luxury homes in those areas around yeah. Atlanta, Georgia, around Nashville, around you know, like Charlotte, North Carolina, Arizona, look at what you can get for a million bucks. You get 10,000 square feet. (laughs) You
0: (laughs) You need to buy more stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Indoor pools. I mean, it's amazing what you can buy in some of these areas for a million dollars. So that's what's going on. Exactly. So when you see, you know, um, the exodus from the cities and it's a lot of the millennials that are, you know, now they're having kids, you know, they're in their thirties. You know, they want that yard, you know, and, you know, now, all of this stuff, not everything is selling everywhere with multiple offers overnight. I mean, there are properties that are being listed that aren't aren't being sold. And if you look at any MLS in the area, you can see it's really interesting what's selling and what's not and where and why, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and how long. And then there's other properties where you get multiple offers, but it's mostly the big demand is the first time buyer, the millennials that are getting out there. That's where the bulk of this is coming from. And it's it's people that, you know, want to get outside the cities. They want Mm -hmm. to have that yard in those areas where you can buy a whole lot of house for what you were paying in rent is kind of where the demand and the trends are going.
0: Yeah, and I think I think you know we this is all a demand supply problem. So staying on the demand front, right? I watch my market every day. I write offers every week, uh, which is what you know I recommend. If you're going to do one rental at a time, you got to learn your market. You got to know what's going on. So what's going on today in my market and likely most of the country is first time home buyer. So it's where I play, right? Usually below the median, or right mm-hmm. at the median. Uh, but here's the wrinkle that people need to watch for is. They need clean properties. They need move in. They need turnkey. Whatever you, whatever words you want to use, they they don't want to come in and do a fixer because A, they don't want to put in the extra cash, they may not have it. But most importantly is they want that FHA financing, right? One part of the mortgage market that is on fire today is first time FHA three and a half percent down. And that means the asset, the house, needs to be clean, right? It needs to pass Mm -hmm. inspection, it needs to do all of those things. So Uh, If you're playing in a market and that's what you're bidding on today as an investor, stop it. You won't, you you can't win. They can fundamentally spend 10 to 20 grand more than you and have a smaller payment because their interest rate is just that much lower.
1: Yeah. Um, So that's the question as a landlord, do you want to own that kind of product? And I would say it's, it's, it's Mark market specific. So in some markets, there's still going to be a demand if you have that housing product where people just want to be closer to work. Yeah. you know, in, in like my area, you know, where I live, our city is relatively safe. We don't have a lot of the issues that you have in other areas. It's small. Mm-hmm. Um, and people pay a big, big premium, either mm-hmm. to buy or to rent just to be close to the city to the downtown Perfect. area, you know, so right now that hasn't fundamentally changed. You know, if things got worse, and it got really out of control from a pandemic standpoint, uh, you know, some of the areas that are experiencing the civil unrest and, mm-hmm. and things like that, it's becoming a problem, and people are getting away from the city. But there are pockets where you know you can you can kind of hedge that i mean there there just isn't anything in our market in that 250 range i mean yeah. very rare does does that does that happen
0: yeah i can tell you owning i don't know how many houses we own we must own 40 or 50 houses um it's a great time to be a landlord of single family homes because mm-hmm. uh, again rents are going up and and you know we don't have a vacancy in a house and we don't knock on wood we don't have a non-payment in a house right any of our non-payments are in an in apartment building so
1: so how many of them are qualified buyers? How many of those people could actually buy a house?
0: Um, you know what? I'll ask my property manager because we have the um, applications. Obviously, I could get that data, but just from memory, I would guess probably 30%. So let's say I have 50. So that's 15, Yeah. 15, maybe 18. I mean, I know a couple, right? I just approved somebody for a $1,500 uh, rent on a, a three-bedroom, two-bath house which in my market is great, right? Usually it's 1350. Uh, he makes 150 grand a year at PG and E, wow. which is our, like, uh, uh, whatever, our utility company. I, I don't know if you know who PG and E is, but, yeah, yeah. uh, he, you know, he just doesn't want to own. So I'm like, okay,
1: cool. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So I guess there are a lot of people still, you know, well, I mean, I know it's not a guess that, that don't want to own no matter what they just, they would rather rent not, they don't want to own even with that kind of a price. You know discrepancy and uh, and again a lot of it's area specific and lack of inventory. You know, yeah. so I mean there there is more a lot of times more rental product available than there is for sale product.
0: Yeah, I think that's really what it was because um, he just didn't want to deal with it. He he was in a mm-hmm. family situation where he needed to move his mom into the back house. It's a nice configuration all that. But yeah, I think I would say probably thirty percent of my tenants in houses probably could buy, and that's a good point you bring up because that's what I saw. The worst time for me to be a landlord was oh seven oh eight. And that's because, again, we, back to your point, we had stupid lending. All mm-hmm. you had to do was have a social security number and a credit score, and you can get a loan. So we saw non-qualified buyers become buyers. Yeah. Uh, and that was, I mean, I was given month away free rent, half off deposits. It was horrible. Thinking mm-hmm. about that now, I wonder. Yeah, I think, pri- yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. Because, yeah, I'd say 30% of my houses could become buyers. But the good news is I think Fresno's growing back to your point about a suburb growing. Uh, it's, it's, it's still a place you, in California. It make, it's crazy. 60 grand a year. You can live in Fresno. It's affordability indexes, which is something I track in Q2 was 50, which meant half the population can buy the average home. Yeah. Right? That, that income thing. So lots of room to grow. And I actually just did the math, right? Cause again, I've been in the market so long. So back in 06, when I sold that Norris drive house, um the affordability index was like 18 right so it was like non affordable uh, i just did the math sub 3% and you could you, the median price could go all the way to 450 grand and today it's 325 so there's yeah. lots of room to run before mm-hmm. we get back to the same unaffordability index yeah as
1: long well. as the interest rates stay low and that's the key metric to watch because it, it may not necessarily you know be that way now there is no reason to believe based on what we're seeing that rates are going to rise anytime soon but they're going to have to at some point yeah um you know you just can't you just can't keep going at zero forever although we have been close to it since 2000 you know nine ten 10 when well, the let's, whole let's zero scratch interest that policy started little,
0: let's let's scratch that a little bit because i want to play devil's advocate first off i agree with you but i just want to play the other side because i have fun doing that sometimes mm-hmm. let's look at japan right? Japan has had zero and, and, and negative at least, uh, you know, I don't know, what do you want to say? The last 20 years, 15 yeah. years for sure? Yep. Yeah. We, I mean, could we in theory have sub 3% 30-year mortgages for a decade? I mean, in theory?
1: Well, we've had it, you know, we, we, we've had close, you know, um, really since 2008, 2009, um, you know, I guess mortgage rates have been hovering in the threes to fours, fours yeah. yeah.
0: Threes to fours, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely could see it. The problem is, is that what the fed is doing now and treasury is doing now Mm -hmm. cannot be unwound. Yeah. It can't be unwound. No, it can't. Because (laughs) you know, the markets will tank if interest rates went up, went up, you know, above 4% now housing markets done. No, I agree. It used to be five. Now it's, you know, now it's four. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, so that's just a threshold and you know, it will kill the housing market across the board. We saw it happen. In the fall of 2018. It did. I remember. Yep. It went dead silent all across the country because rates got over 4% and started touching five.
0: Yes. And I it just
1: shut off like a faucet. And that's the thing about the housing market. That's really cool for anybody who's an investor. Trends and changes happen fast within, mm-hmm. I mean, weeks to months, very fast. Yeah. Um, so it's easy to watch. You just watch the interest rates and you'll, you'll have an idea of what's going on there and then just watch the inventory levels. You know, Yeah. It,
0: it, it, interest rates are the thing to watch. I totally agree. And I do, th- I mean, I can call it right now. The housing market will slow down when the 30 year mortgage gets over 4%. The question is when does that happen? Right? Some people are saying three years. Some people are saying 10, some are saying never. Uh, I don't know. It's not going to be never. I mean, never too long away. Uh, but yeah. that's the big question. Um, the other thing, yeah, I, I don't think- know.
1: I mean, I have no idea. I don't have a crystal ball. And then, you know, right now the way we're headed and the way, the way things are going and the way things have gone, I, you know, I don't see it happen anytime any time in the foreseeable future because the, the, like, again, the fed cannot stop what they're doing. We are oh. on a monetative easing yeah. QE pattern that cannot be stopped
0: No, because, totally you know,
1: wall street's going to throw a fit. Oh. And the same thing with the housing market. Anytime yeah. interest rates start going up, you know, the the, the market's thorough fit. And I don't care who's in office, Republican, no, I don't Democrat, care. Yeah. it doesn't matter. Care. Doesn't matter. Nobody wants a, you know, meltdown on Wall Street because that affects everything. It affects everything. banks, it affects everything. And, you know, that would just create such a tsunami domino effect around, around the world uh, and all the markets around the world. You just can't stop. We're on that train and it ain't stopping.
0: Yeah. The other thing to play with is you and I have never seen sub 3% but let's just play this angle and go the other way. What happens if it gets under 2% or under one and Mm -hmm. a half? The thing that I've been, I've been asking myself that question, what would have to happen between now and call it next summer for the 30 year rate to be cut in half? Let's call it today. 3%. What has to happen to cut it to 1.5? And I'm like, well, we need to have a double dip recession. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to have a a second wave that is worse than the first wave. We need, we need to be flirting with the depression Right. I mean, you could I could envision a set of horrible events where the 30 year gets under one and a half percent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know, like you said, it, w- it would take, you know, significant contraction, you mm-hmm. know, moving forward in the next year to where we have not put people back to work. Yep. Um, you know, but the, and it would take the government to stop spending. And I think, again, if we have if we have, you know, a Democratic policy in, in Washington, I think there's going to be more money put out there you know, for um, unemployment benefits, things like that, which yeah. people, people need, you know, right now desperately. But I think it's going to be more liberal of a policy, you know, um, that kind of disincentivizes production and productivity, which hurts the economy as a whole. So I think, you know, um, that type of policy, you, you know, from a political standpoint, will have a big factor on, on what happens. And then if the Fed has to start reducing rates and go negative, mm-hmm. that's when you get, you know, interest rates below 2%, you know, for mortgages and things like that. So yeah. they've said they're not going in that territory. The economists that you follow say we can't go negative, but Japan did.
0: Yeah, Germany um, or somebody else, I know, not Germany, England, somebody else did in Europe, Switzerland, yeah. Switzerland somebody. Yeah, there's, yeah there's so it's, it's possible,
1: yeah. but the question is, will the Fed go there? And is that their floor? You know, are they, are they because they're
0: not there yet. You no, know, but not, if they no. do get
1: there, yeah. it, you know, is that the floor and will it, will it, you know, stay there?
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I guess the point of me doing that mental exercise is I can, I can see the 30-year rate going lower, which just kills me. Because I was, I remember my first mortgage was like seven, in, uh, seven and a quarter, I think, or seven and an eight. Yeah. And, I bought yeah. a
1: three, two, one buy down nine and three quarter first year, eight and three quarter or no three, two, one buy down. So nine and three quarter was the interest rate. But first year was seven and three quarter, eight and three quarter third year it hit nine and three quarter because interest rates were 10%. Now this was (laughs) 1997, no, 1990, 1990 when I bought my first house and you remember that 90 to 95 was a very slow period. It was was tough for real estate. A lot of developers in our area were going bust because they couldn't sell. And that's why we ended up buying that because the theory behind that was your income is supposed to go up. Yep. You know, so in order to get us into the house, that's the program we were on. Yeah. And I mean, this was now what we just talked about. You can buy a $257,000 house now for 800 bucks a month, $850 a month, yeah. all in. That first house I bought was $135,000, one twenty-five, dollars It was a 2,600 square foot on a quarter acre, a <laughs> you know, four bedroom, you know, with a garage. It was a nice little house. You know, it was a cheap production home, vinyl siding, vinyl windows. And our payment, all in, was twelve hundred some dollars a month. Wow, for a hundred and I think it was a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar house.
0: There's, there's, there's the interest rate right there. Interest rate impact. That's, that's yeah. crazy.
1: So that's where it's at. So the lower the rates go, the more you know housing is going to cost. So it's kind of a wash, right? So the key is the price you pay is permanent. That doesn't go away. The financing is what's temporary. No. Okay. Absolutely. Now you can lock in at thirty years, and then you know it's, mm-hmm. you know, at that point it starts to make a lot of sense. But You know, the thing about it is, is that with interest rates where they are now, you know, at a point, you just can't go much lower. So if you're paying a premium at that point, you know, there's not going to be much upside from there. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why we saw upside in prices in the past because interest rates, because you remember, I mean, our parents talk about double digits when they're paying 18, 19% for their houses. Yeah. Housing prices were way cheaper. So the only reason house prices have have increased just like anything else is because the interest rates and the financing is so cheap. So, you know, in terms of a long-term investment, you know, people aren't going to double and triple the value of their houses from here because it can't. The financing just can only go, but so low.
0: Yeah. So we talked about the demand side. I think there's a lot of positives for demand. I think there's a lot of, I think what I'm, what I'm getting pretty confident in is, is, I don't know, 90% of the geography of the U S is going to win in this environment. There'll mm-hmm. be 10% of the, you know, the big cities who lose, right? Because they're seeing exodus. And oh, by the way, where I'm going to next is supply. The other thing that makes the big cities tough in this market is that's where all the builders are not all, but that's where many of the builders were concentrating because that was the right answer in 2019. Everybody yeah. wants to come to cities, build luxury condos, go higher. But guess what? That changed overnight. And now yeah. we, have an in, we have an inventory allocation problem because build. You, you don't build houses quickly, right? It's certainly skyscrapers. It takes years to build them. So mm-hmm. now we have a lot of contractors or not contractors, builders. Yeah, um, developers. Developers. That's the word I was looking for, who built product that's just coming online in the wrong space. Yeah. And right now people are going to the suburbs and there are very few builders there. So you just have more demand, less supply, prices go up.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's all works in cycles. So 2008 and nine, we had a condo boom, Miami Beach everywhere. And there were towers with towers. thousands of units vacant, yep. you know, vacant, you can move in for free. I mean, they were giving them away.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we've
1: been there before and it was Myrtle Beach. It was, you know, it was all those areas like, you know, Miami Beach, you know, even out in California. And then there was the whole condo conversion where people were taking big apartment buildings, multifamily oh, yeah. and converting those to condo Absolutely. and they all got stuck. Right. So it's like anything else. Now, here's the cool thing: is that it's actually right now you're in a very good position as a developer if you're building a huge tower and there's hundreds of millions to billions of dollars on the line for that building. You know, you're in good shape. Okay, you're going to continue. You're going to finish it out. Nobody wants to see that thing go bust and get sold mm-hmm. pennies on the dollar, right? In terms of the lenders, the bank, the equity. Oh yeah. So there's you know there's a vested best, vested interest in making that work. Whereas 2008 nine very different. So you know a lot of this stuff is going to get rescued, and it's going to be able to be worked speaking this week um you know in Wyoming, okay, for you you know the the um the conference, and you know the markets are up today because of the anticipation of his speech continuing to say we have a blank check, yeah we have unlimited firepower you know so what he's telling the markets is hey go do whatever you want we're gonna we're we're here to back it up doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter if you're bankrupt doesn't matter you know how how inflated the assets are that you're you're buying and selling we're going to clean up the mess when you're wrong so don't worry (laughs) about it
0: you know oh Uh, gosh yeah back to don't bet against the fed right
1: Exactly. So that's the other side of the equation, and talking about how does that affect real estate? Because interest rates, you know, the national debt, mm-hmm. and not you know not only the amount of the debt, but the interest on the debt. Yep. How much can we sustain as a country? How far is too far? And that's a big debate right now. That people say that when debt outpaces GDP, you're in trouble. Um, you know, when does it become unsustainable? you know, which, which is interesting. I mean, our GDP is what, 20 trillion, 25, 28 trillion, whatever it is. And the debt's Mm -hmm. right around there. I mean, debt to GDP is right about 100%. We're almost there.
0: Almost there. Okay.
1: Can that go to 200%? Can it go to 300%? Oh, you know, so that's the question.
0: Yeah. So I think you've done some research on this. Again, I've, I've looked at this over the years as uh, you know, I was an econ grad. So that was always part of, you know, part of one of our courses, as I recall. And what I remember is the only time in the American economy was World War II, right in the depths of World War II, our national debt went above GDP. I could be wrong. I just could have a bad memory that was 25 years ago. Um, but what have you found when you looked at that?
1: So it's, it's interesting. I've been studying some economists and people talking about it. And um, when you look at history and you look at other countries that have gone you know, mm. 100 and 200% to yeah, GDP, Japan, yeah. they're fine. Japan has not had, you know, their inflation has remained pretty, pretty flat while their debt has gone up. So the evidence is, well, you can, you can do it forever. You can go and you can do it forever as long as you can service the debt. So if you think about Uh, the national debt, like we think about leverage of investments, as long as we can service the debt, if our GDP is, you know, Twenty-eight. Let's just say thirty trillion dollars, okay. just just,
0: just for, math, you know, yeah. for
1: a round number of GDP at thirty trillion. What kind of a payment does that mean that we can pay for our debt? Well, if you think about an investment, you mm-hmm. can lever that up. Yeah, you know, three times, right? So that means that we could have ninety trillion dollars worth of debt <laughs>
0: that we
1: could sustain.
0: Yeah, that's that's. A, I mean, when we tie this back to this whole conversation, interest rate is the thing to watch because again, the national debt is is often financed in the bond market. Right. right, right, with you know different maturities. Uh, there's talk of a hundred-year bond coming, right? I've heard that talk over the years. They've obviously the 30 years out there. Um, so one of the things that we will see as the debt ticks up and rates stay low is the government will go longer in duration.
1: And see, that's the thing that Powell and Mnuchin are talking about. They're like, why can't we double it? Why can't we go 200% debt to mm-hmm. GDP? You know what I mean? Because as long as interest rates are low, yeah. you can sustain that. Yeah, I mean, You can they, make the payments.
0: They just did a, it wasn't, I, I don't know who the buyer was, but somebody just did a $1.2 billion junk bond. Junk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like 1.87, something sub 2%, yeah. right? So yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's, essentially for people ugh, listening, scary. that's a
1: bankrupt company yeah. issuing debt that people are buying for them to stay in business when they're already bankrupt. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so who's I'm, the buyer? I don't know. Probably the Fed, the right? Fed. It has to yeah. be the Fed. They're going <laughs> to exactly. be the big buyer, right? The Fed's going to... A lot of zombie companies out there right now. But I mean, you, when you go back and look at this and you tie this whole conversation together, A, I think interest rates... So I've already changed my opinion on interest rates. I was originally thinking interest rates would be going up by kind of 2025, right? Just because I think we're going to get back to kind of where we were by 2020, or, yeah, 2022, heading into 2023, we're flexing our muscle, we're feeling pretty good. And I'm like, okay, the fin will keep it low for a little longer, then 2025 we raise. Right now, I'm a, Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, at this point, I've changed my picking mind. You're yeah, just picking a number? Yeah, I'm just right? picking a number. Because I, I just couldn't see us staying this low. So what
1: drives it? So what is the catalyst to drive interest rates up? So the only thing that can drive interest rates is real inflation. Yes. Okay. So if, you know, at real inflation, when I say real inflation, what I mean is at the consumer level. Yes. When, uh, you know, gasoline is $10 a gallon, when milk is $10 a gallon, when that shirt you're wearing is $100.
0: Exactly.
1: You know, at Walmart. Yeah. That's real inflation. That's hyperinflation. Agreed. So the Fed can't allow that to happen. Okay. So that's what we haven't seen. And we haven't seen it since 08-09. We've seen inflation at the asset level, because of the liquidity and all that, which is is fine, because that doesn't affect the average consumer. consumer. Correct. When an automobile is $300,000 or $200,000, that's when you got a problem. So that's when you'll see interest rates tick up. But the only way that can happen is if the economy is firing on all cylinders like it was pre-pandemic, and people are spending a lot of money like they were pre-pandemic, but we still didn't have hyperinflation because the consumers will pull back and they'll start putting money in savings. And that's the big mistake that like Greenspan made and Bernanke and a lot of the central banks, you know, pre 2008 and nine, they weren't looking at real inflation indicators, consumer inflation, consumer prices. They Mm -hmm. were looking at assets. They missed it. That's why we had 2008 and nine. So they're now watching consumer spending, consumer price index way more closely now, and they understand at what point they have to do it. So if, if that starts to happen, if let's just say all of a sudden the government just writes everybody a check, you know, relative to their income and replaces every nickel that was lost and then doubles that, whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of like are doing at the asset level of Wall Street. Let's just yep. say every American got a check from a hundred thousand to a million based on your income, mm-hmm. okay? Then what happens? Man, then you get hyperinflation Ooh. at the consumer level because they're going out just buying whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I don't think I'm back to that. I, I, I could see interest rates on 30-year mortgages staying below 3% or certainly below mm-hmm. 3.5% for uh, a decade.
1: Yeah. You need a really, really strong economy with significant consumer spending to drive inflation in order for those rates to tick up. And then here's the problem. When they do that, market tanks. Yeah. Assets tank housing market stops. Yeah. So it's a very interesting thing that I've been studying lately is, you know, how and when does that happen? What's the effect of the dollar during all this? Mm. What's the effect of the dollar? Let's say we double our, our debt to GDP. How does that affect the dollar? Is the dollar going to remain the reserve currency of the world? Mm-hmm. You know, is there a point at which the world says, I no longer want the dollar? Yeah. You know, it, it's very interesting.
0: So is it fair to say that uh, you're bullish on real estate uh, for the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think it's fine. So um, market specific, yeah, deal specific. So again, I'm all about the deal, not the market, not, you know, okay. not whatever. If the deal makes sense for you and your return level and what you're after, the deal makes sense. You. you just got to watch and make sure that if you're you know, buying and flipping, building and selling, you know, that you're watching very closely interest rates, demand, inventory levels, all that. And you want to get in and get out quick. You don't want to be multi-year speculating right now. Yeah. Big development projects are going to take multiple years. So just so that, we put I'm a not, time,
0: time frame on that, when you say get in, get out, say sub nine months?
1: You know, it depends on what it is. You know, the smaller the project, the quicker. But, sure. you know, larger projects, yeah. I mean, you can safely predict right now, you know, six months to nine months, maybe a year out on bigger projects. But, yeah. you know, right now, if I can get in and out in, you know, 30 to 90 days, that's kind of where you want to be.
0: Yeah, I was, I was just trying to get the end. I agree with you. I think you could see up to a year. I don't know that I would sign up for something that's 18 months, 24 months, because we do have this, oh, by the way, election in November, and you know, that could gum things up.
1: Yeah, we've got that. We still have the issue of you know, the, the you know, coronavirus and all that. You know, what are the real effects of that? How's it going to look going into the fall and winter? That we don't know yet. Yeah. So once we know that experiment, we see what's happening. Um, you know, then we can make some more intelligent decisions about longer-term investments. But right now, I think if you're speculating, you want to get in and get out quick. Rent's rent, okay. So yeah. if you base your buying criteria on actuals and say, "I'm happy with the return right now, if nothing else changes," yep. and I can sustain, you know, again accurately calculating risk, if yep. I can hold on a downside or, or if this thing backs up. Well, you know, then you're fine. Exactly. Um, but you know, anything speculative, you got to be real careful.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what I teach and talk about in one rental at a time. Right? Is if you if you can do the deal now and it hits your return, and oh by the way, the market tanks and you lose ten percent of, but oh, who cares? You can hold it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Uh, so be conservative. No no negative cash flow in this market. Yeah. So any exactly. closing thoughts, uh, Greg, as we wrap this up.
1: Yeah, I think it's exciting times. I think it's very interesting times. There's a lot of, uh, you know, things to research out there. But I think, you know, again, know your market, you know, make sure that you're not stepping outside of your um, threshold of what you're looking for in terms of returns, whatever you want for cash on cash, whatever you want for cash flow, um, those types of things. Don't bank on, you know, appreciation. You know, you need to always plan that it's going to pull back and go the other way and that interest rates are going to go up and we're going to see some inflation. So you need to think that way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just know your market, know your deal and, uh, you know, just be careful and pick your spots.
0: Awesome. Great. This has been a great expert series. I love kicking off the week with you. I appreciate you, man. Have a great week.
1: Yeah, man. A lot of fun.
0: Yep. Thanks.